0: Tonight we're combining Zephaniah and then skip over a couple of books to Malachi. That is the last book in the Old Testament. And uh, we'll not spend quite as much time in Zephaniah. Spend a little more time in in Malachi tonight. But closing out the Old Testament. We've made our way through since early January. I guess the first Wednesday in January with a couple of, uh, maybe a couple of times uh, we didn't meet. Uh, But we've been making our way through in the... uh, through the Bible, through the Old Testament, and finishing up tonight, Lord willing, we'll start in Matthew next week um, and look at Matthew's gospel. So we're cruising through Zephaniah and Malachi tonight. Zephaniah is just three chapters, and the key word there is the word jealousy, and that's, in, um, um, that's seen in there because of uh, the Lord rebuking, rebuking his people, um, as many of those prophets did at the same time. Uh, within the same time frame. Um, so his he wrote somewhere around 630 B.C. He's earlier than Malachi. When we get to Malachi, we'll see where he was a little bit later. And we're going to actually spend a little more detail on Malachi. We went on Zephaniah. Uh, but look at chapter 1, verse 1. And then we're going to back up to Jeremiah chapter 1. And we'll see the time frame, how um, they're right there um, together around, around the same time. So if you remember anything about when we were looking at Jeremiah and talking about the Book of Jeremiah, when he was a prophet there in um, in Israel in um, Judah. Remember, um, he he was prophet under Josiah, and uh, during his time was was just a short time before they went into captivity, and then um, Jeremiah was still living when they actually went into captivity to Babylon. So we're going to see tonight that their time. Uh, of ministries right at the same time. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 1, the word of the Lord which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of His, uh, kai, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So it gives us a time frame as far as um, uh, r- around the same time frame of, of Jeremiah. So if you look in Jeremiah 1 verse 1 and 2, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the priest's of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Benjamin, of course, is the other tribe that makes up the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin. All right, so there's Jeremiah prophesies. He's right there where the tribe of Benjamin is located, right there in Judah, right there at Jerusalem. Verse 2, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. So um, it, it pinpoints down the, the year in Jeremiah, 13th year of his reign. It doesn't give that year in Zephaniah, but it's during the same reign of the same king of Josiah. So they were contemporary with each other. So it um, gives us a little bit to, uh, uh, history-wise and date-wise to look at. So here is, um, here is just an outline. It's not a like a clean outline, chapter by chapter, but then there are only three chapters so chapter 1, 1, verse 2, uh, through chapter 2, verse 3, rather, excuse me, is God's judgment of Judah, and he announced or pronounces judgment coming to uh, God's people there in Judah, all through that first chapter, into the first few uh, verses of chapter 2, before he mentions the, um, the judgment that would come with the Gentile nations, particularly Babylon, but on the other Gentile nations around them. Um, Let's, uh, before we go on to the next, to the middle one, let's, let's read a few verses. We read the first verse of, of Zephaniah 1. Look at verse, um, let's start at verse 2 there, pick up there, and read down to verse 7. I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. Verse 3, I will consume the fowls of the heaven, the fishes of the sea, and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off uh, man from the, off the land, saith the Lord. I will also stretch out my hand upon Judah and upon the, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the name of the Chimrims with the priests. Chimrim, that was a, a false god that was worshipped. But Baal is the one that you would probably recognize that name more than any because um, almost all the pagan nations around them worship Baal, especially Babylon um, who came in and, and took over Jerusalem. Uh, and, and brought them into captivity in Judah into captivity, verse five, and then that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops, so rather than worshipping the Lord, they worship the host of heaven, that would be the spiritual beings, angelic beings or maybe um, less than angelic beings, um worship the host of heaven upon the housetops, in other words, standing on their house, um, I guess they thought they felt nearer to them there, and them that worship and swear by the Lord and swear by Malchem, that was a false God also, so in other words. Um, They, you know, they want to bring the Lord into it, but they still have those false uh, gods that they worship. Verse 6, Then they turn back from the Lord and those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, he hath bid his guests. And he goes down through the rest of that into chapter 2, the first three verses talking about the uh, judgment that, we, that he would bring on Judah. And Zephaniah, as with some of these other minor prophets uh, that we've seen, and even the major prophets like Jeremiah, you know, warned Israel, warned um, Judah, especially uh, of the uh, idolatry and that they would go into captivity because of that. Then chapter 2, verse 4, through chapter 3, verse 7, is God's judgment on the Gentile nation. So first, he pronounced a judgment that's going to that's come to his people, to Judah, which is, you know, the southern two tribes, southern kingdom. But now he pronounces the judgment that's going to come on the Gentile nations around them. And that's 2-4 through 3-7 through the first, uh, about the first third of the third chapter. Um, Let's look at the first few verses of chapter 2 for time's sake. We'll just read a little bit here. Uh, Verse 1 to, let's say, verse uh, 1 to 5. Let's go verse 1 to verse 5. Verse 5. Well, verse 1 to 3 is still talking about Judah, of course, but he's talking about his judgment that would come. And it says, they're gathered together, verse 1, O nation, not desired. In other words, he's saying uh, his judgment was going to come upon Judah, um, and then the, the day of the Lord's anger was going to come upon them because of their idolatry. Now, now skip down to 4. For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon a desolation. They shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday. Ekron shall be rooted up. Those are towns of, of neighboring Um, cities that would come in. Now skip down to verse 7. And the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed thereupon in the houses of Ashkelon. They shall lie down in the evening, and the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away the captivity. Um, Verse 8, I've heard the reproach of Moab and the revilings of the children of Ammon, whereby they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against their border. Uh, Moab and Ammon were neighboring enemy nations right there in their backyard and front yard too, I guess you'd say, but right there in their backyard. And the, the Ammonites and the Moabites, a little rated PG here for us tonight, but the Ammonites and the Moabites, if you remember how their nations began, they were offspring of Lot and his daughters. Remember whenever God brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, uh, God, God sent uh, the angel to get out of here. Um, you know, leave because you know the, the judgment of God is going to come upon Sodom and, and Gomorrah. And so, before the judgment came down, Lot and his wife and daughters ran out. And then his wife turned around. I remember, turned into a pillar of salt. So he ran and hid in a cave. He and his daughters. He got drunk. And the next thing you know, they're, they're both daughters are with child. Well, uh, one had a, a child. They named Moab, which is the father of the, uh, of the Moabites, and then Ammon, the father of the Ammonites. So. Um, they, um, those were two enemy nations that were there around Israel, their neighbor, neighboring enemy nations for, you know, for a very, very long time. So that goes down through chapter 3 and verse 7 against the enemy nations. Then chapter 3, verse 8 to 20, there is the, the justice God gives after that judgment where he will restore his people. Now, again, as we've seen in several of our um, minor prophets especially, And we saw it in Jeremiah and Isaiah and and, uh, also Ezekiel. But as we've seen several times, um, a lot of times there is a double application to some of these prophecies. In other words, when he talks about restoring his people, after they were in Babylonian captivity, after they were in captivity to Babylon, um, later on, under Nehemiah and under Ezra, many of them come back, not all of them, but many of them come back to the land. They come back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the city. They re- rebuild the temple. And so many of them come back. So they're restored in that sense. So, you know, that the prophecy of verses 8 to 20 come true in that, that sense. But that ultimately will come true at the end of the tribulation when the Jews, um, the remnant of Israel that's saved, at the end of the tribulation will... Um, Will believe on, on the Lord, and they will they will be in the land at the end of the tribulation. They'll survive it. They'll live through it. So, with that in mind, um, look at verse. Um, actually, we'll come back to verse eight in a moment uh, with some verses, but look at verse eight, and then we'll we'll skip down to verse fourteen. Uh, therefore, wait you upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations. We're going to come back to that in a minute when we highlight that in, in just a moment. That I may assemble the kingdoms and pour out my indignation. Even all my fierce anger for the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my, fire of my jealousy. Now That, of course, will not come in its fullness and its 100% fulfillment until the tribula- end of the tribulation. Skip down to verse... Um, 14 for now. Uh, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all, thine, all the heart of the daughter, uh, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy, the king of Israel. Even the Lord is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil anymore. So when they came back to the land after Babylonian captivity, the Lord was there in the midst of them in spirit, not in bodily shape, in spirit, but he was there nevertheless. Well, at the end of the tribulation, the Lord will come back at the second coming or the second advent. He will be there bodily then. So, these again, these verses have double fulfillment. They'll be, they were fulfilled when many of them came back to the land because the Lord restored them. And they rebuilt the temple. But there will be one day in the future, it will be in its fullness and fulfilled. So, as we've seen a lot of times, there, there's double application of prophecy in the Scripture. All right, let's move on. The day of the Lord, that phrase is found 13 times in some way or another in the little three-chapter book of Zephaniah. That's a short book uh, to have 13 times, but that phrase is found there 13 times. The word desolation is found seven times. And the word remnant is found four times. One time it talks about the remnant of Baal, but really three times it has to do with the remnant of Israel. And if you remember when we looked at last week in our study, we talked about at the end of the tribulation, there will be a remnant saved of, of, uh, of Israel. About a third of, of those uh, during the tribulation that lived through it, about a third of them uh, will live through it and they'll be in the land in belief. Right now they're in unbelief and then there'll be an unbelief until the Lord comes back and they'll be there in the land in belief. And that's called, we call it the remnant. That word's found a few other places in Scripture. All right? Um, look at a few verses, highlight them with our mileage and efficiency. 318, there's the United Nations at the end of the tribulation. I just read it a moment ago where um, he says... Uh, I, my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms. So at the end of the tribulation, the Lord is going to gather them together. So let's, let's go through some references. When we looked at Joel a couple of weeks back, uh, if you go back to your left, after Daniel there's Hosea, then there's Joel. Joel chapter 3, and we'll start there and make our way, work our way eastward, we'll work our way to the right after this. Joel 3 is a similar verse that's talking about the tribulation. Verse, um, well, I have verse 2, but let's read verse 1 and 2. For behold, in those days and in that time, then will I bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Again, at the end of Babylon, captivity, it came to pass that, but it's going to come pass in its fullness at the end of the tribulation. Verse 2, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, That also is just another name for the Valley of Megiddo. And we'll see see about that in just a moment. We'll see the reference there. It's the same valley with different names. Just like the Lake of Gennesaret, is also called the Sea of Galilee. A lot of times the same thing will have two different names. Valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people, for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And they did that. That's been done for a long, long time. So when Israel went back to the land, uh, it became theirs in 1948, the Balfour Declaration. When they went back to the land, is the land they have now. is just a small piece of what they're going to get. In the millennium, it goes a lot farther than that. It goes all the way to the Euphrates River. And there's a lot more land that they'll be getting than where they are now during the, the millennial reign of Christ. And so um, he says that they have parted the land, and they did. Uh, throughout, throughout the centuries, the Gentiles have done that very thing. Uh, go to Zechariah. That's our book last week. Um, we're skipping over it tonight because we looked at it last week. It's right before Malachi. Zechariah 14, here's another verse, very, very similar, talking about gathering the nations. Verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be delivered in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall be cut off, shall, excuse me, shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. It's when he fought in the day of battle. So uh, another reference there to it. Uh, Revelation 17. I was going to put another reference, and that's one of that semicolons there. Uh, But Revelation 17, if you go back there, go there with me, way back to the back. And this is uh, in in Revelation when it records what's going to happen in the future and that that battle which we know of as uh, Armageddon. Revelation 17, verse 12 through verse 14. And the ten horns which I sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. Remember he said in Zephaniah, I the, I'm going to gather the nations and the kingdoms, right? Verse 13, these have one mind and shall give their power and strength to the beast. That's of course the Antichrist as we talked about last week. Verse 14, these shall make war with the Lamb, that's Jesus of course, capital L, and the Lamb shall overcome them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and they that are with him are called faithful, or excuse me, called chosen and faithful. And uh, I didn't give you the, the, I didn't put the reference, that's probably the one I meant to put up there, but in Revelation 16, verse 16, it says the place they'll be gathered is called Armageddon. And that's where we get that phrase, the battle of Armageddon. And uh, it'll be fought in Megiddo, which also is called the Valley of of Jehoshaphat. So there's a little bit of uh, prophecy to kind of follow the, uh, run the references on there. And fuel up of Zephaniah, he's seen in chapter 3, verse 15, is the, uh, the king of Israel, even the Lord, and that's one reference definitely to the Lord in uh, Zechariah, and looking at our fuel up. Uh, home address, 3.8 is the battle at the end of the tribulation, which we read just a moment ago, and then in chapter 3, verse 14, uh, I believe I read that one a while ago too, uh, Zephaniah 3.14 a uh, single daughter of Zion, shout Israel! Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. That's found in Handel's Messiah. That's one of the uh, the piece, one of the uh, the uh, songs there in, in Handel's Messiah. And then um, the whole remnant of, or the remnant of Israel, I mentioned a while ago, and read a few verses, will be restored after the tribulation. So that's uh, that's Zeph and I. Anything on those three chapters? Any questions or input or comment? Not a long book, but it has a lot in there about the judgment that they experienced then, the judgment to come. All right? Let's go into um, Malachi. I'm going to spend a little bit more time there. Ye say or you say is uh, 11 times in the book of Malachi. 23 questions are asked in the book of Malachi in those four chapters. And the thing about it is, um, let me see if I have this. Yeah, let me back that up. So um, three Uh, 23 questions are asked in that four-chapter book. So that's a lot of questions, and we'll see in a moment the Lord is the one that asks all these questions. There are four chapters, not a long book, but longer than Zephaniah. The time of Malachi, just trying to nail this down, so different writers disagree, but um, you can compare Scripture with Scripture, and apparently he is right around the time, maybe later in the time, but right around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, as you um, remember, as we talked about many times, after the captivity, when Judah, um, after Babylonian captivity, some of them stayed in Babylon. Some of them went to other countries. A, n- a number of them came back to, to Jerusalem, to the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, as they came back, God laid on the heart of a man named Nehemiah. We studied his book a few months back. Uh, laid on the heart of a man named Nehemiah, who was living in Persia, had a pretty cushy job there in Persia, and he left that cushy job. Uh, God called him to go back and uh, leave his comfort everything in the king's palace where he worked to go back and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. One of my favorite books, especially in the Old Testament, is the book of Nehemiah. I love that book. So much good stuff in there. And then, uh, not long after that, a man named Ezra was a priest. He came uh, also to help rebuild the temple. Nehemiah built the city, basically, and the walls and the gates restored them. But Nehemiah, I mean, excuse me, Ezra was the one who was responsible to rebuild the temple for them as they came back, made their way back after Babylonian captivity. So Malachi writes about that time because there's some references. I might have put some in here to, um, to it looks like some of the same things that happened during Nehemiah's time occurred as Malachi addressed some of those same problems. Chapter 1, there's uh, Israel's contempt for their sacrifices, which seems odd, even after they came back to the land. But here God's people been in captivity generation and generation. You know, they probably had maybe a couple generations because they're in captivity, what, 70 years. So they're probably on grandchildren now, a lot of them that were growing or grown up by then. And now they were kind of snuffing at God's sacrifices. and They were, had a contempt for it. They were taking it for granted in chapter 1. And um, they're rebuked for that, um, for their contempt. Uh, in chapter two, the priests are, are, are uh, rebuked for their loose morals and, and the things that they let let by. Um, let me see if we can pick up a couple of verses here and that, uh, here the, uh, about that. Look at verse. Um, pick up verse. I'll tell you what. Pick up verse one. In the seventh month, and the one and twentieth day of the month. Uh, no, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in Haggai. Hey, I'm supposed to be Malachi, Barry. You had the wrong book. No wonder it looked funny. I thought it was funny. Malachi 2. There, here we go. 2 verse 1. The priests. And now, O oh, you priests, this commandment is for you. So he takes this whole chapter and begins to uh, bring um, correction to them. Verse 2. If you will not hear, if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already because you do not lay it to heart. So the priests were held in a higher, you know, held up to a higher uh, standard and responsibility, and yet here they were not being what they were supposed to be as priests. Uh, And then he goes on to say, I'll corrupt your seed, uh, so forth down through there. In other words, their offspring would not, they would not be uh, um, able to be priests uh, or or not, I say able, eligible, I guess you'd say. Verse 5, my covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave to them for Fear wherewith he feared me, and he was afraid before my name. Um, talking about the tribe of Levi, verse 4, which is where the priests come from. So he spends chapter 2 blasting them. They've gotten lax, and their morals have gotten loose, and he rebukes them. Then you get to chapter 3, and there is the coming of the Lord mentioned and the, to prepare for him. Um, we'll, we'll actually skip over the first couple of verses because we'll come back to those in a moment. But he mentions the Lord um, coming back to... to um, to suddenly come to his temple, verse 1, and he'll be a purifier of the sons of Levi, verse 3. And um, he'll bring, there'll be judgment that will come into the land against sorcerers and adulterers, verse 5. And so in, uh, in chapter 3, he talks about the coming of the Lord. If they would prepare themselves, prepare their hearts uh, for his, his return, his coming. And then uh, his promises are in chapter 4. He gives promises to them about his coming. These are the things that will happen, he says, and I'm promising you these things will happen when, I, when, when he comes back. But see, the thing about it is it's about the second coming. That's the amazing thing. Most of those verses are about the second coming. So let's take time to drill down and look at these a little bit. First of all, this is what I was uh, getting to a few minutes ago. Those questions, I said they're 23 47 of the 55 verses in these four chapters are spoken directly by the Lord. There's no other book in the Old Testament that has the Lord saying that much. Now some of the other prophets like um, Isaiah and Jeremiah where the Lord speaks, usually it's to them personally. But the Lord's saying things to Malachi to tell, uh, to tell everybody else, to tell uh, the people of Judah. And so, um, you know, the great majority of this book, 47 out of 55 verses, are spoken directly by the Lord. So Malachi is unique in that. And of those questions that I mentioned, the 23 questions, the Lord asked those of Malachi and of God's people. So there were questions he asked Malachi, and it's like Malachi turns around and he's to ask God's people those things. But they're spoken directly by him. Look at a couple of references and uh, uh, see a little bit about them. Look at 3.1. I will send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me. We're actually going to come back to this again in just a moment. But uh, if you go over to Mark 11, Gospel of Mark chapter 11. I hope I have the right thing here. Verse 15 to 17. Because it said that he will suddenly come to his temple. Chapter 3, verse 1. I'll send my messenger. He'll prepare the way. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Mark 11 verse 15, and they come to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And so he rebukes them here, verse 17, and he taught saying to them, uh, is it not written, my house should be called of all nations a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. So he came suddenly into the temple, and he came casting out those money changers. Back in 4.2 of Malachi, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness, we'll come back to that in a moment, Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. In other words, you'll, you'll be protected, you'll, you'll be in a, a place uh, when the Lord comes back to reign, you'll be in a place where you're protected, there won't be any harm to you, And uh, just like a calf in the stall, you'll be safe. Uh, John 9, verse 5. I can get over here to it. John chapter 9 and verse number 5. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So he is the son of righteousness, S-U-N. And notice that's a capital S. He's the son of righteousness and the sun shines brightly and that he is the light of the world. So that's a couple of uh, places to look at our mileage and efficiency there. All right. Um, the messengers in Malachi, there are five of them. Chapter one, verse one, Malachi, of course, himself being the, the first one mentioned because it's the book, the Lord or the word that the Lord gave to him, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And then in chapter two, we, we saw where some of the priests were rebuked, but there were some that were doing right. And the priests, the, uh, the true priests, the, the good ones of the day, chapter 2, verse 7, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law of his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. So there were, even though he had to rebuke some of them, there were some priests that were doing, doing right and uh, doing what God uh, expected of them to do, the message he gave them. John the Baptist, chapter 3, verse 1, this is a prophecy of John the Baptist. We'll go to Mark here in just a moment. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And then the next part of that verse mentions the Lord, which is Jesus. We saw that a while ago when we talked about him coming to the temple. So go with me, if you will, to Mark 1 and verse 2. John the Baptist is the one that fulfills this Um. um Malachi 3, verse 1, that first, he is the messenger. He's the forerunner. He's the one that came to announce that Jesus had come to Jerusalem. So this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's about uh, 30 years old, the Scripture says, 29, 30 years old. And his ministry begins. um, Luke records that and says that he's at the age of 30. But as his ministry begins, Mark chapter 1, look at verse 1 and 2, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Gospel means good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, we shall prepare thy way before thee. And so as you read through there, and there's next few verses, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That actually comes from Isaiah. Uh, Malachi is uh, chapter uh, 3 verse 1 is there in verse 2 of of Mark 1. But in Mark one three, that comes from Isaiah because that's the message that he had. But the fact that he was prophesied to be the forerunner, the one who would come before to prepare the way, and that's exactly what John the Baptist did. He fulfilled that. And then verse uh, chapter three, we read part of verse one uh, just then: the messenger of the covenant. Verse two: Who may abide the day of his coming? He shall stand. Uh, who shall stand when he appeareth? Verse three: He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Um, And then it says uh, they're offered to the Lord an offering and righteousness. So uh, Jesus, of course, is a messenger that's prophesied there. And then chapter four, verse five, as we'll come back to in just a moment, we see Elijah's name. So uh, five messengers are mentioned in the book of Malachi. And of course, other than Malachi and the priests of that day, the other three were future, were fulfilled, of course. uh, When John came, Jesus came and uh, partly when Elijah came or when he will come back later anyway. So we'll see that in a moment. Let's look at our tune-up verses. Have we not all one father, he says. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 10. So remember the context of this. This is Israel. This is not you know, New Testament church, but uh, there is an application, I think, for us. Verse 10. Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? So when he asks this, he puts it in the negative. He said, you're mistreating each other. He says, we have one father. Um, Israel knew knew that God was their father, Uh, hath not one God created us. God created them as he created everybody. But, uh, when Malachi asked this question uh, to them, it's because they were mistreating one another. Again, remember the priests were, there were a lot of them were corrupt basically, and they weren't living right, doing right. Chapter one, the, the, um, those that come back to the city, they were kind of snuffing it, it, you know, mocking at God's. Uh, at the offerings, at the sacrifices. So applying this today would be for Christians, basically for us to treat each other right. We're, we're believers in Jesus Christ. We have the same Savior. Uh, we're to love each other as the Lord would have us to love each other. Let's run a few references real quick. Romans 12 and verse 15. Romans twelve fifteen. 15. Um, rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Of course, there are several others that I could have put it up here, but just uh, I put these three up here. Galatians six ten, uh, as much as um, it's as much as is possible to uh, to do good unto all men, especially them who are the household of faith. And then uh, Colossians three, in verse thirteen, says uh, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And just as they said, you know, uh, why are we dealing treacherously every we ever against his brother? So many places that Paul writes about and talks about the fact we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. So we see uh, from there uh, the example of how they were treating each other that believers, we should treat each other right. And so let's spend a little time on these though before we close out in Malachi. Chapter 3 verse 8 to 12 is, um, they're brought into question and to rebuke about not tithing. Um, so uh, here we see how um, they were not, uh, you know, obeying what God had told them to do. They were to bring offerings. Now, so when we think about offerings, we think about in our day the money that we give uh, to the Lord and, uh, as an offering. But a lot of times what they offered was not uh, simply only money. Sometimes it was actually the things they grew as well. Um, and so this, uh, this promise God gives them about tithing. Chapter 3, verse 8. Let's read this section verse, through verse 12. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, and God still asks the question, but you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So again, we saw where they were kind of snuffing at his sacrifices, right? So they were obviously not giving back, you know, uh, in, their, in their tithes. Verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So we think of in our day, we think of, you know, the idea of tithing. So for the Christian, um, should we tithe, should we not tithe? Um, I think a tithe is a great number to go by. Uh, tithe means 10%. When you look back the first time the word tithe is mentioned, it means basically a tenth of something. And so to give a tenth of your income, I think that's a great, um, a, a great number to, to go by. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, there are times where I think we should probably give over as the Lord lays on our heart. There are times that we may give, um, you know, not just to the ministry of the church, which is very important. I mean, that's how, you know, God wants his church. And we'll see that in a moment. That's how the Lord wants his church to work. But when we give, a lot of times we give over that percentage because we take up special offerings for um, our our ministries whenever we have our missionaries here. Um, Gideon's. Anytime like that, we, you know, give over and above. Then there are times you may give, and it may not be quote unquote to the church. The Lord may lay it on your heart to give to a person that is in a time of need. So giving, when you get in the New Testament, tithe is a good guideline, but we're not under the law. God doesn't put us under the law. Um, I think 10% is a great number, but if you can grow in grace and at some point give more than 10%, awesome. That's great. If you can give 20 25%, uh, that's awesome. But um, but notice here we have the comparison here about offering and tithes and offerings a little bit. We can think of that. But look at verse eleven and twelve, and we'll see this Old Testament promise. So this is for Israel, and this is under the law, and they were to keep the law. But look what happens when they does it, when they don't, when they doesn't, when they don't. Versus when they do. Verse 12, eleven, and I will rebuke the devourer for her for your sakes. So he says, if you give back. Um, because, see, he calls it a storehouse. Meaning what? Meaning that what they give is there for the rest of their people. It's there for each other. When they bring of what they grow in the field, it's there for each other. And so they're giving to God, but they're also doing it for a practical reason. And he says, if you come back to realizing this, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Now, that's obviously, that, that's, you know, our enemy, that's Satan. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome, look at that word, L-A-N-D, land. So that's for Israel, see, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, for lack of time, we don't have time to go there tonight, but uh, the two best chapters to study are right next to each other in the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 talk about grace-giving. And to me, uh, or from what I can see in the scripture, that overrides the law. The law's not a bad thing, and a 10% amount is not a bad thing. But when we understand grace giving, we realize that our giving is not done out of duty. It's not a bad motive at all. Duty is not a bad motive, but there's a better motive. And grace and love in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 is the better motive in giving to the Lord. You know, whether it's giving to the Lord, to to the body of Christ, the church, or giving to others or, you know, other ministries. um, It is a great guideline, 10%. But 1 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are the chapters in the New Testament where Paul talks about the importance of grace giving. So um, we see that in the chapter and we see the comparisons about that. Go with me now to chapter 4. And I said Moses, uh, or excuse me, I said Elijah's mentioned. So is Moses, chapter 4 and verse 4 and verse 5. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb um, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. So that's the mountain where God gave the commandments It's also called Mount Sinai. Same thing, two different names like you see a lot of times in Scripture. So it's interesting, though, that he mentions Moses three verses at the end of the book of the Old Testament. He mentions Moses. Then look who he mentions, verse five. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of their, uh, the children to the heart of their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So the book or excuse me, the Old Testament that begins with God uh, creating everything and with the exception of one or two days, one day. In which God created everything, it says, and and uh, at the end of that day, um, the evening and morning, the first day, and, and God, and behold, it was good. Second day, it was good. Third day, it doesn't say that. But then you go on through, and then the when He creates uh, man, chapter or the sixth day, and behold, it was very good. But here, the last book of the Bible ends with a curse. It says the the, um, the mention of a curse. So let's look at a couple of references. Go in to Matthew 17. Moses and Elijah at the end. Moses, of course, represents the law that's given to Israel. And Elijah, who was you know, basically the first prophet, uh, at least a prophet we know majorly because of, uh, of um, his, his ministry there in, uh, right after the divided kingdom. Uh, Matthew chapter 17. Moses and Elijah is a prophet. Moses the law, Elijah a prophet. Uh, Matthew 17, start at verse 1, and read through verse 13. After six days, Jesus taketh up Peter, James, and John, his brother John, the brother James, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them, here they are, Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses and Elias, or Elijah. Verse 5, And when he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And As they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Uh, in fact, later on, Peter records this in his epistle, uh, writes about that um, in, in uh, I believe it's Second Peter 1, verse 10. His disciples asked him, saying, Why then, say the scribes, that Elias was first come, or Elijah? Jesus answered unto them, Elias truly shall first come, Restore all things, but I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed, likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist somewhat fulfilled Elijah's role. The Bible describes him when he comes on the scene to preach that the Messiah is here. He wears the same clothes as Elijah, uh, and and eats the same thing Elijah. So he's he's just kind of a wild man, just shows up out of nowhere. So in that sense, he's proclaiming the Lord coming, and his ministry was beginning. So somewhat, um, Elijah's ministry was fulfilled in John the Baptist. So uh, we see where uh, Jesus says, or excuse me, Malachi tells us, that God tells him that he's going to send Elijah the prophet. So in a sense, John the Baptist's ministry was like Elijah. But go with me over to Revelation. I think this will will help us to understand this a little bit better. Revelation chapter 11. So here we see in Revelation during all that's going on the tribulation, two witnesses show up and they're not named. They're not given names. There's been a lot of speculation. Some say it's Moses and Elijah. Some say it's Moses and um, uh, Enoch, uh, or maybe Enoch and Elijah. But let's look at this and see. Uh, verse one and two. It talks about the temple as being measured. We'll skip that for time's sake. Pick up at verse three. And I will give Revelation eleven three. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy a thousand two hundred three score days, clothed in sackcloth. About half of the tribulation. Verse 4, th- these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. But, and if any man will hurt them, here we go, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. If any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Remember, Elijah was able to call down fire from heaven. Remember that? And then Moses that, that time whenever the um, uh, sons of Korah had disobeyed God and that fire came up and swallowed them up. Verse 6, these have power to shut heaven that it rained not in the days of their prophecy. Elijah did that, remember? Whenever he was on earth. And had power to, over the waters to turn them to blood. Remember when uh, Moses took that rod, that staff, and there the, the river becomes blood? And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast, that's the Antichrist, that ascends out of the bottomless pit, shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So Israel, Jerusalem, over the years, by the time Revelation comes around, spiritually, they're no longer the great spiritual city that they were at one time. They're called Sodom and Egypt. Those are not complimentary. Anyway, that's a side note. Uh, Where our Lord was crucified, verse 9. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. What are they going to do? Verse 10, They that dwell on the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another. Got rid of those old loudmouth preachers because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. ah. After three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. TikTok, YouTube, all the media, they're going to go nuts that day. That's going to be something, isn't it? Once that happens, you can't undo that, right? <laughs> Once that happens, you, you know, that's, that's seen. That's um, forever on film. So um, my view, I believe because of this, Moses and Elijah will fulfill what Malachi said. And they will be back, but it will be in the tribulation. And they will be the two witnesses. That's that's my view of that. That's what I, I believe. Uh, and, and the things that describe them, I believe that tells us why. So that's my view on that, and I believe they will be back for that. The Lord has seen, uh, verse chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord whom He seeks shall suddenly come to His temple. And then He's called, chapter 4, verse 2, the Son, S-U-N, capital S, the Son of Righteousness, another a name, a reference to our, to our Savior. So he's seen in those ways in the book of Malachi. Uh, home address, 3-6. I love that verse. We actually talked about that Sunday morning in our message where he says, for I am the Lord, I change not. God never changes. He's the same always. This world changes. Even the way God worked throughout history may have changed from time to time. His methods may change, but he never changes. Chapter 3, verse 16 talks about a book of remembrance of uh, those who um, um, the Lord honors for doing, uh, doing right, Malachi 3. Um, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and the book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. So um, there's a book of remembrance there for those, and then I, I believe that's for us. We can apply that one day to the judgment seat of Christ. And then in chapter 3, verse 18, he talks about those who are able to discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. All right, so we'll uh, stop there with Malachi. Malachi, any questions or anything on Malachi tonight? A lot in those two little books. Yes, ma'am. So you think that it's Moses and Elijah, but then that verse... That says that it's appointed unto man once to die. So Elijah was taken up, but didn't Moses actually die? Moses died, right. And Elijah, he will die there. Uh, Hebrews 9 says that it's appointed unto man once to, I think it's 28, 9, 28, uh, appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So there are those that think, because Elijah, this is a view on this, and, you know, that Elijah, since he was taken up without dying, um, he would have to be one of the. Two witnesses, because he would have to die at some point. Well, he's already in heaven right now. Then, which he will die if he's one of the witnesses. And then the other, and then the other view is that Enoch would be one because the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and Enoch never died, so he would be one of the witnesses, and he'd have to die. But you also have to remember, it's uh, appointed unto man once to die. Let's let's think about this for a minute. One day when the rapture happens, there'll be those who are raptured; they'll never die. Um, there were those that Jesus healed, or, or excuse me, Jesus rose from the dead. Even Peter did that, Paul, rose someone from the dead, uh, but eventually died again. So they died twice when you think of it that way. So the, the view um, that, uh, and, and we've talked about this before about Enoch, I think. The people said it has to be Enoch because, you know, Enoch didn't die and he'll have to die now. But if you look at it as far as the way the Lord does types in Scripture, Enoch is a type of the church of the believers that are alive that are raptured without seeing death, because after Enoch was raptured, not long after that comes uh, God calls Noah and says, "I'm going to destroy the earth of flood," and God raptured up, excuse me, raptured up Enoch before that happened. So he's a picture or a type of the church, the living rather, excuse me, of the church that does not die that gets raptured up. Good question, thank you. Very good, good point too. So, um, just from looking at the miracles they do and the things they're able to do. Uh, my view, I, I believe, and from looking at Malachi also, I think that's Moses and Elijah. And the fact they showed up there at the Mount of Transfiguration, I think I think that's that's who that is there. But there are other writers and, and commentators that don't agree with that, but many of the, those that I've read do. So anything else? Good question, good point. Awesome. All right, we finished the Old Testament. Wow. Oh, it took us nine months, so we finished it. So we'll thank the Lord for that. So, Lord willing, next week we'll pick up.